Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Yeah, all right. Pretty lively here. Some of the staff, Saul's staff came in feeling not so good. So they're feeling pretty tired from, uh, from Saul Conference last week. So glad to see that not everybody's feeling that tired. Y'all are feeling good up in here. Uh, my name is Ernie. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Hill Church. If we've never met, hello. I'd love to meet you. I always stand up here at the front and we'd love to meet you, pray for you, whatever. It just, it'd be nice if you're like, hey, you would, you would like that. But I'm from South Louisiana, as many of you guys know that. Yeah, some of the South Louisians are like, yeah, all right. I, I was talking to my in-laws a couple of days ago. They told me it was 80 degrees there already. The summer in Louisiana is like one of the worst experiences in life. Um, it really is. Like, it's like 100,000 degrees, and it rains every day, storms every day. Uh, but one of the things that Louisiana does have is pretty awesome. It has incredible fishing. And I grew up fishing in the marsh. And if you've never been in a marsh, it's kind of an incredible thing to be, you know, to be at. Like, it's basically like... Just for miles and miles and miles and miles, all you see is grass and there's little canals and there's these like little ponds, like little lakes we'll call. And you're just kind of fishing in this area and, and everything, the only place that there's like kind of solid ground is marshy grassland, you know, and there's all these animals in it and there's a whole ecosystem that lives in it. It's, it's pretty incredible, but it's, it's, you can see forever. And uh, we had a friend that we took fishing when we were in college. His name was Ben, and he was from Tennessee. So he had never seen that before. It was kind of his first time seeing it, and he was just like, this is amazing. Now, there was something that you need to know about fishing out in the summer in the marshes is that it rains every day, and it doesn't just, like, trickle. It, like, there'll be these giant thunderstorms that would come. And so if you go fishing in the summer, basically what you're doing is you're just running from one storm, running away from one storm, and just wherever you can fish without being rained on or lightning or thunder, that's where you're going to fish because there's storms all of the time. But it wouldn't be nothing. It wouldn't be. It would be nothing to go out and see two like water spouts, you know, at a distance, like the like, little hurt, little tornadoes of water because of the weather out there. And we'd be like, oh yeah, look at that. That's pretty cool. You know, probably not safe. Probably shouldn't be close to that. But we're like, whatever. Uh, well, Ben had no knowledge of this whatsoever. But me and my friend Kevin, who are taking him fishing, we're kind of guiding him that day. The funny thing is, Ben now lives in New Orleans, owns a boat, and is a better fisherman than me. Uh, but when we took him out today, he didn't know any of that stuff, didn't understand any of it, and we were running away from the storms, and then me and Kevin found our place where we could not get away from a storm. That it's like there was one direction. We can go out into the Gulf, into the ocean, and try to do it out there, which the boat would not be good at that. Or we can try to go 20 miles through this storm where there's like lightning and thunder, and so as we see this, we're getting quiet. Well, Ben is like loving it because it just dropped 20 degrees. You know, it was like 1,000 degrees, and now it's 80, which feels cool to us at that moment. And he's like, man, and he, he's, we're just, and me and Kevin are on the front of the boat, and we're just getting quiet. And Ben just says these words as the storm is coming all around us. He goes, man, this is amazing. God, you can take me right now. And me and Kevin both had the same thought. He might. Like, and as he said that, I, as shortly after he said that, like lightning struck and it was so close. If you've ever been in a storm and had strike, like you don't even, you just see it and you hear it almost instantaneously, but it was so close. And I, I think this is true. I don't know. I have no science to back this up, but before it struck, like the hairs on my, on my, my arms stood up and, and then we heard it like immediately after. And I looked at my friend Kevin and go, Kevin, did you feel that? And he goes, Yep. And we were immediately motivated to just drive as fast as we can this boat to get to the boat launch. And the entire time Ben is in the back, he's just hooting and hollering. He's having a good time. 
You know, he's like, he's like, I'm with mom and dad. Like, I don't have to worry about anything. You know, he has no idea. Me and Kevin are like praying and there's just like water pelting our face. We're the tallest thing out there. And we're like, Jesus, please don't take us yet. We'd like to get home, you know, today. And I'm like, unbelievable. Now you have these people in the same boat having two different experiences. And why does Ben feel so safe in that moment? Ben felt safe that moment because one, he wasn't aware of his surroundings. And two, uh, and two, he trusted us as leaders in that situation to not put him in a situation that'd be dangerous. He's like, he probably, look, he looked around at the thing to tell us later, he's like, yeah, I just figured this was normal. Like you guys had it. I was like, no, Ben, that's not normal. That was terrifying. We told him at the dock because we didn't need a third person and panic at that moment. He said, like, let's just let him be happy in this moment. But I, I, I noticed something about that. When we have people that we can trust and lean on, when we have leadership in our life, life tends to be a little bit, carefree. It tends to be a little bit, you can have peace even in the midst of like terrible storms. Maybe you experienced that with your parents. So you've had parents and they've, they've had you in moments and you go and talk back with your parents like, yeah, we were terrified when that was happening. And they're like, like, I had no idea that anything was even going on because they were leading you in the right direction. You have so much trust in your parents that you're not worried about that. You know, it's one of the most beautiful things about God is that when you became a Christian, he didn't just leave you there. He didn't just say, hey, good luck. You're on your own. See you when you get to heaven. I've dealt with your sin. That's it. But that he actually placed his spirit in you and has a desire to lead you and guide you through life. See, many of us, we've had guides as parents all of our lives, but now you've stepped out of home. And all of a sudden, you're calling home a lot more because you want somebody that's just a couple of steps ahead of you, someone who has some experience, someone who has some knowledge, someone who has some foresight in your life. But now we feel that less and less as we get older and when there's just this desire for someone to lead and we end up leading ourselves and end up making a mess. See, the Psalm we're gonna look at this morning in Psalm 23 is an amazing Psalm because it tells us that God is the right leader for your life. And as you flip to Psalm 23, I want to share a little bit about the author of this psalm. Psalm 23 was written by a guy named David. He was the second king of Israel. He wasn't the second king of Israel because his dad was the king of Israel. He was picked by God because the, the, the first king of Israel was unfaithful to God. And so God called out his man, David. And David lived an extraordinary life. You may be knowing some of his stories, how he slayed the giant of Goliath. He also spent many years on the run from the king that wanted to kill him, that he was going to take his place when Saul died. The king's name was Saul. He lived a life hiding in caves. He lived time running and fighting amazing battles and it would become the king of Israel and would be called, it made a lot of bad mistakes, but did a lot of great things as well. And, and what the Bible says about David was he was a man after God's own heart. And so David writes this psalm of a God who led him through an adventurous life that you would never, that many of us would never experience. And this is what he said about following God's leadership. This is the kind of leader that he says he is. And my hope and prayer this morning is as we look at Psalm 23, that some of us in this room that call Jesus our savior, we would also begin to call him leader. That there'd be areas in our life there's areas in our life that we say, God, I'm okay with you leading these points, but, but we're not putting it all on the table. We're not saying, hey, God, you can have it all. And I hope that when we look at Psalm 23, you would see the kind of God, the kind of leader that Jesus is, that God is, and you say, okay, God, I'll give it to you because your plan is better than mine because your resources are greater than mine. 
because your foresight is greater than mine, because your care for me is greater than my own care for myself. So let's take a moment and pray, and we'll get to Psalm 23. It's six verses. Jesus, I pray as we open up the word of God this morning that we be transformed and changed by it. God, I pray that we would be different people because of your words, not mine. And so as we look at the word of God that says it's living and active, Lord, I pray it would transform our hearts this morning and that we would see you more holy and more fully than we did before. And we trust you in a greater capacity than we did before because we know whatever you have for us is better than what we have for ourselves. God, we love you. We praise you. Amen. Okay, Psalm 23, six verses we're looking at. It. We'll start in verse one. All right, we got a, uh, it says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now let's just stop right there. And if you're a note taker, write this down. What David is saying is this. God is my leader. Write that down. God is my leader. That is what David is saying right in this moment. I don't know what you know about like sheep herding or shepherding or anything else like that, but I've learned a lot about it as of recently, okay? It's a, it's a very interesting thing, but here's some things you need to know about being a shepherd and how they lead sheep. That sheep need a lot of caretaking. Of all of the animals, it requires more energy and attention and meticulous care than any other livestock to take care of. They need, they need care because they're not particularly smart, uh, they're, they're not strong and they're not fast and they're not very, they're not big enough to scare anything away. In fact, like, you know, like they're sheepish, you know, you get the term sheepish, like you got that? All right. Ha ha ha. Dad jokes. My son says my jokes aren't funny. So he would agree with you. Uh, but because they're none of those things, they're particularly vulnerable to attacks from predators and they're particularly vulnerable to bad decisions on their own. In fact, there's this one account in 2007 I'm about to drop some sheep knowledge on you, okay, right here. In 2007, where uh, one sheep jumped off a cliff, and so 1,500 of them followed. One suicidal sheep led to 1,500. Like, that looks like a good idea, too, and just kept jumping. Like, 1,500 sheep jumped off. You know how, like, you think your friends are frustrating to get somewhere? I mean, dang, dude, like, come on. And the shepherd's job is to take care of the sheep. It's to protect the sheep, it's to give provision, it's to, to, to bring the sheep to food and water. It is a life devoted to an animal. In fact, in this time that David's writing this, the, most of the time the, the, the shepherds would live with the sheep for months and sometimes even years without going into civilization. They're just there with their sheep. There's a life completely devoted to it. Do you see what, what, what David is saying about God's leadership? He's saying, I'm the sheep, he's the shepherd. God brings everything that I need. He is this picture to me. And a shepherd cares for his sheep by leading them. See, if you go to Israel today, or if you go to those places, they're still doing it pretty similar to the same way they were doing it back then, is that a sheep, the way that you would herd sheep is not how we herd cows. Like you get cows and you're pushing them from behind with horses Sheep would know and learn their shepherds and just follow them where they walk. In fact, my professor told me about this in a story because he went to Israel and the guide was sharing this with them. And they were sitting on the bus and they looked out the bus and there was men pushing the sheep. And he's like, the, the wise guy that my professor was, is like, what about that? 
And the guy like stopped the bus, yelled to them. They spoke in Hebrew for a few minutes. The guy began to laugh. He goes, those aren't the sheep. Those are the butchers. See, God's leadership is not pushing you somewhere you don't want to go. It's leading you to a place that you want to be. But it's following the sheep. It's following the shepherd. In fact, the only time that you'll see a shepherd run after a sheep is because a sheep is running away. The sheep is running away. And, and what was often a practice then is that when a sheep would run away, the shepherd would track it down. If it kept running away, the shepherd would break the sheep's leg and he would carry it and he would mend it. And that sounds really cruel, but it's actually a very merciful, loving act because the shepherd knew the sheep would never be able to live without the presence of the shepherd. And when that sheep's leg would heal, it would never leave the side of the shepherd again. Not because it was afraid of the oppression or the abuse of the shepherd, but because it had come to know the reality that the shepherd was his friend and leader and caretaker. It had come to know the goodness of the shepherd. See, I get this feeling right now that many of you in this room, you're running from your shepherd. You know who God is. You have relationship with him. But you're running from the one that loves you. And he will allow you to suffer the wounds of your own disobedience in order to bring you back to him that you would understand the goodness of him. And if that is you, like, I'm just beckoning you, like, go to the king shepherd. Go to our Lord. Follow him. See, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's acknowledging that God is his king, his leader. Probably the most important single word in this song is the little word, my. Because you can know that the Lord is a shepherd, but that will, do, that, that will, do, will not do you too much good. You can even understand that the Lord is the shepherd, the only one in the universe, but that won't meet your needs either. See, God needs to be your shepherd, not a shepherd, not the shepherd, your leader. Only when he's your leader can you say what it says at the end of this psalm, that surely I will live in the goodness of the Lord all the days of my life. Because he has to be yours. Guys, God is not interested in being your life coach. He is not interested on sitting on your advisory board. You know what an advisory board is? There's a leader, and he gathers wise counsel around them. They give him advice, and he picks and chooses what he wants to do. A lot of us treat God in that way. We want him to be in one of those chairs in our life. That, like, hey, add to this, this symphony of good advice around me, and I, wanna, I want you to be a voice at this table. And we say it in different ways. We're like, God, I love your teaching on grace and mercy, but I don't know if I line up with your morality. God, I'll follow you just so long it doesn't cost me anything. But the second you cost, it costs me anything, this is not convenient for me anymore. 
I don't need you in that chair anymore. That's how many of us treat God. Let me tell you something. God is not interested in being fitted into your life. He's inviting you to fit in with his life. He's inviting you to join his flock. He's inviting you to follow him. What did Jesus say to every one of the disciples? Follow me. Come take part in the adventure and plan that I have for you. His credentials tell us that he is overqualified for any other job description other than king in your life. He's the king of the universe, creator of all things. Scripture says that he spoke existence into creation and he breathed life into it. Scripture also tells us that all of creation was made by him and is held together through him and by him and for him. And he will redeem all things. And one day, Scripture tells us that everything will acknowledge him as king. Everyone. Those are his credentials. What are your credentials compared to God? I just want to be honest right now. I mean, there's a lot of successful people in this room. There's a lot of really smart people in this room. We have some people have entrepreneurs that, that, have, that have started these great companies and done all these amazing things. There's some of you guys that have never gotten a B in class. All A's. Some of you are trained to be doctors and lawyers doing incredible things that you've strived over, like have given your life to, striving towards these things. You know how easy that is for God? I'm not trying to belittle you. That's not what I'm doing right now. I mean, like just think of Bill Gates. He's one of the richest men in the world, and he owns the most land in the richest country of the world. He's the, he's the single biggest land owner. Do you think God blushes at Bill Gates? And goes like, man, you got a lot of land. God would just say in his, old wor- his own words, everything that exists is my unique possession. Why am I saying this? Because God is more fitted to be a leader of your life than you are. And if you're a Christian in your room, there was a time that you led your own life. That didn't go so well. The one that is qualified, that is able is Jesus. And the promise he gives us is this. Look at it. You shall not want. Christian, before you knew Christ, all you did was want. You were enslaved by sin and broken in its patterns and cut off from redemption. All you had was want, which led you to try things to fill that need. And you never found satisfaction. But as a Christian, that's a statement that we get to have. I shall not want. And that word want is a little bit tricky for us, right? Because as we talk about in culture, we're like, hey, there's wants and there's needs. Like we talk about this with our kids. Like there's wants and there's needs. There's things that you need and there's things that you want. And it could look like what he's saying here is that, wait, Ernie, are you telling me that if I follow God, he becomes my leader, then all of a sudden I get everything I ever wanted and desired? Are you, are you saying that? Yes and no, I'm not saying, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, I'm saying this, because a better translation of this, a better way of reading this in the Hebrew is that, is that I shall not be in need would be more accurate in how to say it. 
See, God could give you everything you ever desired, but because he's a good shepherd, there's some things he's not gonna give you because they're harmful for you. There's so many times I look back at old prayer journals, I'm like, Jesus, now I'm like, Jesus, thank you for not answering that prayer. Thank you for not bringing that thing to fruition. You had a better plan. You had a better future for me than I could see or have perspective for. See, a way of thinking about this, because some of us like, Ernie, there's a lot of things that are really godly that I want to happen. They're not happening yet. A good way to be, would be to think about it like this. I shall be supplied with whatever I need. And, if I have, if, and if I have not everything I desire, I may conclude it is either not fitted for me, not good for me, or I shall have it in due time. How come I can say that statement? Because for the next five verses, we're going to see the kind of shepherd, the kind of leader that God is. Read with me verses two and three. He said, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. God is my leader that takes care of my daily needs. Write that down. First, God is your leader. Now he is your leader that takes care of your daily needs. He provides for us what we need. See, right here at the beginning, what, what, what David is talking about is that God takes care of him and gives him the things that he needs that, that will satisfy him. Now, there's a little issue with this picture because when you think of green pastures, you think of belly high alfalfa fields, you know, just like lush green. These, we have a picture of it. This is what green pastures look like where in Israel. Do we have the picture? Don't look very green, does it? The picture that we have, because we live in the Midwest, is like, oh, fields of soybeans. These are the green pastures of Israel, okay? And if you notice, you're going to see, like, see how there's, like, it looks like there's all these little pathways that go across it? Oh, you see that? Like, Israel doesn't get a lot of rain, and we're, and we're, we're, and where green stuff would grow would be underneath rocks or next to rocks. And what a shepherd would do is he would graze his sheep across the whole face of that. And you see those little pathways? There's enough pathway between for one sheep to walk and to look to its right and its left and eat. And so a shepherd would just lead them through and he, they'd be able to graze an entire, an entire mountainside in a day and then move on to the next place. See, this gives a different picture in what you think because, because if this was green alfalfa fields and you just dropped in the middle of it, then what the passage is saying is this, is that the moment that God becomes your leader, then he just drops you there and you don't even have to do anything. You just eat, you just gorge yourself whenever you want. Is that anybody's experience following Christ right now? It's not mine. What the true picture of Psalm 23 is this, is that God leads us to green pastures and he gives us exactly what we need at that moment. There's not enough food to feed the flock for a million years or even 10 days right here, but there's enough for that moment. And then you trust the shepherd to lead you to the next place and the next place and the next place and the next place. An old rabbi said this, worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems with today's pastures. In the desert, you learn that the shepherd will get you what you need 
right now, and then 10 minutes later, he'll get you what you need then. See, what David's saying is he says, I, I lean on God to bring forth my provision. I lean on God not only to bring forth my provision, but he, he, he describes it as like he leads him by still waters. Why still waters? Because sheep are dumb and they drown easily. And if the water's moving too fast, they're going to drown. So shepherds would find out where is the place that is suitable for them to be refreshed. He says the shepherd, that, that God is the shepherd is the one that restores his soul, that he's the one, that, he's the one where he finds hope, joy, peace, and life. And he says in verse three that he's the one that leads us on a path of righteousness and he puts his name on it for his name's sake. He bets his name, not your name, that where he's leading you is the right place. See guys, the, the, the lesson of these verses is not that it says, hey God, if I follow you, I'll be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. But that wherever I go, God, you're gonna provide for me daily. You're going to give me exactly what I need. And it makes a whole lot of sense when you look at the next thing. Look at verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Write this down. God is my leader that protects me. He says, even though I walk through the valley of of the shadow of death. You ever been there in your life? I'm going to be real honest with you right now. Since me and my wife have started this church, we know exactly what it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We've endured more suffering than we thought we would endure in a lifetime. We know how it feels to see someone you love and to find out that they've been hurt in a way that's going to mark them for a lifetime. We know the nights of terror and fear. We understand nights of grief so deep that you feel like your heart is actually breaking. I understand moments of panic so strong that you can't catch your breath, speak coherently, and you feel like you're having a heart attack. I understand the feeling of being knocked down so hard that I don't know if I can get back up. I understand the feeling of betrayal that those who you thought would help you off the ground, shove your face in the mud. I've seen the valley of the shadow of death and I don't think I'm the only one that has. Here's the amazing thing is that the Bible has an amazing message that I know is true that you can be in the darkest moments of your life and you cannot be afraid and not be alone. I want you to notice two things here in this passage. Read it again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the psalmist wrote through, not in. You following God may have led you to that place, but, it won't, but God won't leave you there. He won't leave you there. There is light at the end of the tunnel. See, what we also have to notice is he calls it the valley of the shadow of death. 
And wherever there's a shadow, there's light. And light overcomes the darkness. So if you are in that moment now, persevere because your God is with you and he will walk you through the darkest moments of your life. And if you're a Christian, all that death is is a shadow because Jesus took the bite out of that dog on the cross. Death may take your life. It may hurt you, but it can't take your eternity. It can't touch your soul. You could have the real comfort of God. And the comfort in God is this, is that whatever valley you've walked in, Jesus walked it too. Every pain you've experienced, he's had it too. We don't have a high priest that doesn't understand our sufferings and difficulties. He understands distress and fear. In the garden, he was under such distress that he bled sweat. He understands betrayal and abandonment because when he he was taken, his followers fled and disassociated from him. He understands the feeling of abuse as he was beaten through the night, stripped naked and mocked and humiliated. He understands the loss of loved ones because his cousin was taken and beheaded. He understands rejection, persecution, and injustice as he was put on trial for false crimes. And the people that said, Hosanna, Hosanna, one day would scream, crucify him, give us Barabbas the murderer. He's faced it all in perfect obedience and dependence on the Father, and he's faced it to death where he was brutally murdered on the cross. But this is where the hope is, that he overcame death and sin and was resurrected. And through his suffering, he has healed our wounds and given us a future. You see, because he's faced these things before me, and he's overcome them, I know I will too. I'm with the one that not even death can knock down. The serpent may have bruised his heel, but he has crushed his head. Praise Jesus because he is good. His comfort is real because his staff and his rod is in his hands. Who is mightier than him? Who is a better protector than him? Who is a better leader? See, we can trust his leadership because he has the ability to defend off the things that we can't. So we can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because God is with us. and He's undefeated. Here's the last thing in the song. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Write this down. My God is my leader who has a great future for me. See, in verse 5, it seems kind of weird because he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my witness in front of my enemies. It's like 
he's talking about a banquet. And we don't get excited about banquets because maybe you were a Baptist and you had to go to a banquet and it was really boring. But a banquet in those days was a seven-day rager, okay? It was an incredible party that lasted seven days. You don't think about going to a party and enjoying yourself in the presence of your enemies. You'd be like, no, God, get those people out of there. In fact, the only time that you would do that, that would happen, is if those enemies were conquered and they were there to view your victory. See, what David is saying here is he's saying, as I celebrate the victory of my future with Christ, the enemies, sin, death, Satan, I do it so victoriously that even in their presence, my joy isn't stolen. It's a boss move. That's exactly what it is. That's how that's possible. See, Christian, for you in this room, you can celebrate the victory in the future that God has for you because you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. See, when he says, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint me with oil. In ancient culture, when a traveler would come in and stay as a guest at someone's house, the hostess would put anointment of oil on their head as a symbol to say, this person is under my protection. This person is with me. It was also a foreshadowing, a picture of those that the Holy Spirit was dwelling on us, dwelling on them. But now as a Christian, the word of God says the Holy Spirit dwells within you, that you've been anointed with the Holy Spirit. So even in the presence of a world that's falling apart, even the presence of sin and death and wickedness and evil that's all around you, you can feast on God and feast with God and his goodness. And you can sing the song of verse 6, that surely the goodness and mercy shall flow, follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, where God is leading you is not to your destruction. It's not to a big 401k. It's not to anything. Where he's leading you to is to take part in his kingdom that is in heaven for eternity one day. And you get to experience the benefits of that right now. Whether you're whether you're having a good day, a bad day, whatever, wherever you're at, God is good. And this is the leadership that he has. So my question to you, Christian, is, is God just sitting at your advisory table? Or is he your absolute leader of your life? And if he's not, where do you think you would do a better job than him? Look at the goodness of his leadership here and trust because he wants for you more than you want for yourself. That has been true no matter where he leads you, if it's to the valley of the shadow of death or if it's to still waters where you restore your soul. You know where it's going to end up being? It's going to be in his kingdom with him, away from the presence of sin and wickedness and evil a place where he unbreaks humanity. Where there's no death, no mourning. There isn't any of these horrible terms because we're in the presence of God, away from the presence of sin. That's your future, Christian. 
And if you're not a Christian in this room, the way that you get into his flock is not by being a better person. It's not by coming to church more. It's by confessing the reality that your sin has broken a relationship with God and accepting the reality that Jesus was the son of God and God punished sin in the person of Jesus so that now he can give us God's rap sheet that says that we live the life that Jesus lived. There's an exchange that happens there. It's complete trust on the good shepherd. That's how you become a sheep in God's flock. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for psalms like this. That tell us of your goodness, that tell us of your mercy, that tell us of your love. You are the shepherd that refreshes us, that satisfies us, that gives us all that we need. You are the shepherd that can empower us and embolden us that as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that we would fear no evil because you're with us. You are the shepherd that's leading us, that, that's leading us to enjoy your victory. God, we didn't do anything to earn heaven. It was completely earned by you. It was earned by you because the shepherd became a sheep and he laid down his life for many. We're so grateful for that. God, I pray right now for these men and women as they're sitting here about to pray, about to sing. I just, I just pray that you would tap on their heart, that area of their life, that they just won't give leadership to you that area that they hold back. And they say, no, I'm more qualified. God, I don't know if I can trust you with this. Lord, will you begin to open their hands? And will they begin to reach towards you instead of something else? We love you, Jesus. Amen.